There is no health without mental health. Greetings and welcome to Beyond Madness from me, Christopher Paul Sabo. As a psychiatrist, I host conversations with thought leaders from psychiatry and beyond, discussing topics that, whilst emanating from within the discipline, have relevance for society. Beyond Madness is proudly brought to you by Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Ray, inspiring communities one pharmacy at a time. The World Health Organization reports that 121 million pregnancies annually are unintended, further noting that 6 out of 10 unintended pregnancies end in abortion, a total of 73 million annually, with 3 out of 10 pregnancies generally ending in abortion. The World Health Organization further notes that 45% of abortions are unsafe, with 97% of those that are unsafe taking place in developing countries with a maternal death rate of unsafe abortion being between 4.7 and 13.2%. Aside from physical consequences, there may be psychological ones too. On today's podcast, entitled Abortion, Whose Life Is It?, I welcome Professors Yugesh Subramani and Franco Guidozzi. Yugesh is a subspecialist forensic psychiatrist and the current academic head of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Advertisrant. She has also undertaken research and authored papers on the issue of termination of pregnancy, which will be referred to in today's podcast. Franco is a gynecologist currently in private practice and the former academic head of the Department of Gynecology at the University of the Witwatersrand. Yugesh and Franco, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us for this conversation. In some countries, a highly emotional and controversial one. Frank, I'm going to start with you because I think it's always important to define our terms of reference. And more specifically, what is the medical gynecological definition of the term abortion? Well, Chris, thanks for the invitation. Really honored. Um, I think, first of all, the term abortion has its own kind of cloud in thought of from the public point of view versus the whole question of miscarriage. Right. Now, if we look at the term abortion and miscarriage, they're probably interchangeable other than when one seeks a termination of pregnancy, right. where the umbrella there, it's really abortion. So miscarriage is usually the word that uh, patients like to hear or the public prefers to the wording uh, abortion. And by a kind of generalization, it's the loss or termination of a pregnancy prior to viability. Now, the question of viability is the the aspect, and recently we've had a lot from the state, so a right. lot of terms have been thrown around. But basically from this country would be the termination prior to about 24 weeks of gestation. Gestation, by definition, is the period um, of pregnancy that the woman has uh, had prior to the uh, desire for either terminating or the loss. Now, there's some of the older literature tends to support that maybe in a country like ours or the developing world, yep. it should be closer to 28 weeks uh, from a gestation. WHO have kind of tried to draw some uh, lines and they've pursued weight as an important aspect. So loss of a miscarriage or, uh, sorry, loss of a pregnancy, the miscarriage, 
prior to a weight of 500 grams or 24 weeks would probably be the umbrella that right. we have in Africa. So, I mean, one has spontaneous mm. and one has induced. Mm. And I think that that is an important distinction in the sense that, and it's interesting that you bring back the term, not bring back, but you mentioned the term miscarriage because mm. I haven't heard that term used in a long time, mm. actually, because we're very caught up on this word abortion, yeah. which I think in, 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 in some ways has a very powerful meaning to it or it's come to have a meaning you know i think when i was a medical student abortion was just you know the products of conception sort of prematurely mm -hmm. expelled and mm -hmm. it was a technical medical term in that sense mm -hmm. now it's come to, to 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 mean so many other things it's got a moral quality it's 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 become contentious and the use of the word miscarriage is is is, is kind of interesting for me because it just feels okay yeah a miscarriage mm -hmm. Where something happened that wasn't intended. And I think that's the distinction. I, I, I would agree with you. I, I kind of get the impression that certainly in countries where um, there's a um, kind of um, protestation within that country for legalization, the word isn't a problem being abortion. But certainly invariably when you're talking to, another, to, to the patient who's lost a pregnancy, um, I think not only is it a, a moral issue, a spiritual, a, a stigma that goes with it, but the word that, certainly from a personal point of view, they prefer talking about miscarriage. Right. It seems to be something that happened which wasn't um, desired. Right. It, it was unfortunate, and I'm terribly upset about it. Yes. Whereas the word abortion tends to still have behind it this um, aura that it's something elective, right. that it's um, not um, com, um, a process that's um, uh, natural, right. that it has to be induced. So there's, 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 there's mental ramifications that come out with the word abortion. And you see, for me, that's, that's you know, language is powerful yeah, and absolutely. how we describe things. And I'm going to bring you, Gishin, just briefly here because, you know, this whole concept of abortion versus termination of pregnancy – so, again, for me, there's a shift in the use of language, and I think it kind of changes because abortion simply does have specific connotations. Whether one likes it or not, we've kind of moved away from – I'm talking being a medical graduate in the 80s, mm. where it was just a term, but it, it, it had that kind of almost how do we distinguish a straightforward technical term from something illicit – because in those days it was illicit. And now we've moved to termination of pregnancy. So, I mean, I, I think language is important. Yugish, mm. what would you say? Absolutely. And thank you, Chris, for, for having me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it does have negative connotations if one wants to look at it broadly, yes. abortion. And in yesteryear, when you use the word abortion, it was almost – a given that it was something that was induced, it was something that was wrong, it remains steeped in an environment of moral, religious, ethical, philosophical underpinnings that is as yet undefined. So the shift towards, I mean, the act then changed from the Abortion and Sterilization Act yes. to, in 1996, the choice on, of termination of pregnancy. Yes. Um, so to terminate, the implication is there that you want to stop something that is no longer 
able to continue or you don't want, but the issue is on choice. And right. I think if when one, uh, I'm guessing we will go there, yeah, we will go there with regard to the legalities yes. and the moralities. It's never easy. No. Uh, but certainly abortion, it's, uh, you know, we used to soften our voices just like when people <laughs> yeah. didn't think cancer was the right thing yes. to have. You know, she aborted. Right. Whereas it's more acceptable in some ways to have a TOP. TOP. Some people don't know what it means. Right. Exactly. Um, but certainly if one looks at the emotional aspects of all of this. Yes. The meaning that subscribed to the way we express things is often a reason for why yeah. women in this instance would feel a certain way or it might promote a certain feeling. Absolutely. And I think that's why language is, 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 is so important. But also not using language to get away from what we really need to talk about. So we're not looking to hide anything, but could we yeah. describe it differently? Could we describe it better? Where we, and specifically where we've got such an emotional issue, we don't need to charge it further. Yeah. And so eventually my question becomes, how emotional should it be? Does it need to be an emotional issue? But we'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. So just coming back to you, Franco, in terms of a medical reason for let's call it now a termination of pregnancy, mm. where one is inducing a termination mm. prematurely. I mean, there are instances where this is appropriate, for example, fetal death. Mm. So as a gynecologist, mm. just walk us through okay. that. Well, I think what's important is um, what we've just described isn't really um, age-related or time-related. It exists the paradigm of um, the wording is as important today, I believe, mm. as it has ever been. Now, from the essence of the practicalities, miscarriage or abortion, as you've said, um, is divided up into spontaneous right. or induced. And by definition, spontaneous, something goes wrong with that pregnancy within the paradigm of the time span we've mentioned, mm. which causes either a complete loss or a minor loss of the pregnancy, which in medical term refers to the gestation. Now, the induction or the induced is what you were talking about as termination of pregnancy. Right. So in that group, something gets done, be it either medical or surgical, which ends that pregnancy not only by terminating the life of that baby, but the evacuation, which is so important, the evacuation of the products of conception. Yes. Now, both of these um, are then divided up into sterile or septic. Uh -huh. uh, so the whole concept from our point of view, the sepsis is where something goes wrong, there's retained products or there's an infection and that was what was causing so much problems in the past which has helped the, the, country, the world really looking towards bringing termination of pregnancy. And the other thing that I think we must all understand, each pregnancy is either what we call embryonic or an embryonic. So in other words, from the access, a woman can fall pregnant. Um, the gestational sac develops, but the baby doesn't. Okay. So that's called the blighted ovum. 
right. okay, versus the embryonic. So the embryonic then is something that we can identify as a pole, as something that's growing in that uterus, the embryo initially then becoming the fetus, the baby, etc., and something, as you've said, either goes wrong with mom or goes wrong with the baby. Now, just briefly to mm. talk about what could go wrong with the baby yes. that is going to ensure or the need for an induction of congenital abnormalities. Right. That's probably the commonest. Chromosome abnormalities. I mean, um, there's an option, and that's why as um, – correctly brought up termination of pregnancy is a choice yes now for argument's sake um, a woman presents with a pregnancy of um, x weeks and we then analyze and the baby has a down syndrome right then the choice is given to the patient right would you prefer us terminating the pregnancy trying to avoid the possible um, complications, emotional, family, mm. economic, so, uh, there's so much. And that will offer a termination of pregnancy to eliminate that baby growing further, right. cleaning out that uterus and for the next pregnancy. But it's, it's a choice. Yes. Not everybody may agree to it. So congenital and chromosome abnormalities by far are the most important. And then, obviously, complications associated with treatment. Mm. Uh, there's some drugs that, unfortunately, will cross the um, uh, placenta, the afterbirth, right. into the womb and can affect the baby. Right. And we give those options to the mother. Again, the choice being hers and husband, the family, as to whether we pursue Continue, uh, continue with the pregnancy or bringing in a termination, as we call induced. So these are very specific circumstances where yes. for medical reasons it's, it's, it's offered because it may be beneficial to all parties concerned, not least of all for the fetus who would otherwise live if they sought to term a kind of life that would not be necessarily desirable Correct. in that sense. So – but the process of actually inducing prematurely uh, is a medical process which involves the use of specific agents, specific uh, drugs. Correct. And so which ones specifically? I'm, I'm just curious because obviously it's a staged process. Isn't that right? Where you sort of prime the, the uterus yeah. and then you – Yeah. Now, w when we talk about pregnancy duration – um, what, what is important to understand is how long that um, uh, pregnancy has lasted. And we just generally divide it up into what we call trimesters, mm -hmm. of which there are three. And um, the likelihood of problems arising with an induction of uh, termination of pregnancy or inducing that um, uh, miscarriage um, gets – greater as the time passes. So we right. decide 12 to 14 weeks, up to 12 to 14, is regarded as the first trimester. Mm. From about 14 to 28 odd weeks, um, we talk about second trimester. And then the rest is in the third trimester. Yes. So when we allude to 
mechanisms involved in termination of pregnancy, it's according to the gestational age, okay. knowing that the earlier the pregnancy, the easier it is to um, attain right. um, a sterile, clean, good result in the termination, and knowing that once you've gone beyond uh, the sec 24, 25 weeks, it becomes hazardous. Okay, so the earlier the better yes, the in that sense. And obviously there's a medical approach where you induce, you expel the products, and then there's the surgical component inevitably, which is the, D, the so-called DNC. Correct. So that's a dilate and curatage. Well, what, what we've done, uh, I think what you've mentioned earlier is very important, if we look at conceptions, probably about 50 to 60 percent, not just talking about the um, undesired pregnancies, but about 40 to 50 percent of pregnancies, conceptions, yes. will miscarriage. Okay. That's so a, that's, that's, that's a high number. Yeah, very high. Now, I mean, you can imagine what's going on. You've got all these chromosomes from the female, all the chromosomes from the male, this kind of collusion of power energy that's dividing. So things are commonly, um, we don't know about them because the, the patients themselves just generally can say, um, oh, I had a heavy period. Right. Oh, it was abnormal. I had a very slight three or four days overdue. I then m m had a heavy period. Now, those, a lot of them, if you tested for a pregnancy test, would in fact be positive. Right. So it, it, it's well described that miscarriage is on its own a, a common occurrence. Right. The earlier it is, the, the more common. Now, in the first trimester, what is um, uh, advocated also by WHO is a medicalization of yes. the termination of pregnancy where two drugs are given to yes. the, um, the, the patient who desires the termination, one of which is to try and still the growth of the baby and hopefully to cause demise at the same time then given tablets which then are associated with contractions of the uterus to try and extrude right. the uh, products of conception right. so that hopefully you end up with a um, clean uterus which then on its own stops bleeding and you don't require uh, instrument um, um, evacuation. Right. Now, up until about nine odd weeks of pregnancy, that works pretty well. It does really work well. But as you then progress more and more, it gets harder and harder to extrude the um, um, products of conception. And certainly your later, your second trimester mm. terminations of pregnancy, we need some instrumentation. And it's we try and avoid the... A sharp instrument, it's called a curette, yes. to try and clean out the uterus. It has a significant amount of uh, potential. Pro so we rather use a tube, it's a cannula, which is um, uh, attached to either a large syringe or to a vacuum aspirator. And we use the curettage to actually try and remove 
all the products simply on a suction basis. Okay. So you do, you more you more likely to get a good result and less likely to make a hole in the uterus, which could be devastating. I can remember. I don't know about you, Yugesh, but when I did my house job, mm. so I'm dating myself. Back in the 80s, we were called all called housemen, mm. <laughs> whether we liked it or not, male or female. Mm. And we used to do a DNC list. Mm. Uh, the you know in the morning. Of a lot of the women who'd come in And they uh, Some were spontaneous but others had been Induced and mm. those were the days of the so-called Backstreet abortions mm. And we had seen them taking Various products mm. Purgatives, aloe vera based Products or Coat hangers being utilized mm. And many of them were Septic and then we went in There were incomplete abortions mm. actually And then we went in the following day, once they'd stabilized, etc., to do a DNC. So I'm, I'm kind of familiar with, with that approach where we were using the actual uh, uh, steel instrument. Correct. And in fact, one waited to feel the scrape yes. so that you felt that you'd actually cleaned it out. And when I was thinking back, I thought, wow, you know, I was in my early 20s, so I didn't really think too much about it. It was just like, okay, that's a procedure. That's what we do. I don't know what your experience yeah, was. You absolutely. Guess. I remember it exactly like that. And you wait for that <laughs> exactly. sound. Yeah. And you're so worried you're going to perforate. Yeah, you're very careful. We get taught mm. by registrars and exactly. obstetricians how yeah. to do it properly. So I've got, I've got memories of, of, of that. In fact, but one of my specific memories actually from that is of a, a young woman who had given birth to a fetus mm. which was fully formed. It's spontaneous. And I remember just seeing her and that fetus. And I just, I was, as I said, in my early 20s, and I don't know that I thought too much about it, but that image still sits in my mind mm. of this fetus, which was kind of fully formed. And I was thinking of her looking at this child, which is no longer a child. It's just a dead fetus. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was within that whole context of doing gynae and D's and C's and backstreet abortions, et cetera, et cetera. And here was this woman. And, I, and many years later, I started to think about grief, about grief. And I was speaking with Yugesh about that earlier before we started the recording and, and that experience of, of, of grief. Now, you, you're a gynecologist. Yeah. I think Yugesh and I will talk a little bit more about the psychological issues. But to what extent have you encountered that? Amongst women who spontaneously abort as opposed to those who might yeah. seek a termination of pregnancy I think the the, the despair the um, disappointment the anxiety that a lot of these women uh, feel particularly if it's more than one now if we kind of look at um, conception there's this horror story that Unfortunately, it is quite common to miscarriage. But as one goes longer and longer in duration of the pregnancy, which is known as the gestational age, um, the chances of loss get less and less and right. less. So that if we look across the board, uh, from about six weeks onwards, a woman across the board who's healthy, has no problems, etc., probably about one in six, one in, one in five, one in six pregnancies will be lost. So the chances of a, uh, a miscarriage due to congenital abnormalities or chromosome is already quite high. Hmm. Then the numbers become important 
is have I ever had a child before or am I one of these very unlucky women and there are who become what's called recurrent miscarriages yes. or recurrent aborters. These are these poor, um, uh, absolutely um, taken aback by their inability to retain yeah. or to keep the baby. And we talk about recurrent abortion being three consecutive miscarriages or more. So it does make a difference. If I've had a term pregnancy, and by term, really I mean in, as, as a global, uh, it's a baby that su- uh, survives, that, that, that is um, viable. Yes. It makes a big difference. But there's no doubt a woman feels the anxiety, the pain. Every woman who comes in for that scan or the assessment wants to know, is my baby's heart beating? Is my baby moving? Does it look normal? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the concerns are significant. I do believe the suffering, the mental anguish, is different in the woman who applies for a termination of pre- uh, pregnancy yes. versus the lady who has a spontaneous miscarriage. And I'm sure you'll bring, bring up all these aspects. But there's no doubt that grieving is, uh, is, is important, and it's not just with the miscarriage that postpartum period can be hectic mm-hmm. for the family the patient to recover, and a common question that one gets is, when can I start trying to fall pregnant again? And that for me is very interesting because I think that there is a sense that, well, these things happen, you'll fall pregnant again, and you move on. And yet I've seen situations, Yugesh has maybe worked in terms of the research that she's done with with, with women in, in that kind of situation, where it's actually been very difficult for the person to move on because they haven't grieved the loss. And it's almost been brushed aside because you've fallen pregnant again. So, okay, we're moving into a new bright future. And yet there was that connection with the first or the prior pregnancy that was lost. Mm. So I think the issue of grief is something that I'm not sure to what extent it's fully always understood and fully discussed but I've encountered it certainly in clinical practice, and I, I, I've been quite struck by it because, you know, as a psychiatrist, one also potentially moves forward, but then you come up against something like this and you realize, hang on a sec, it's not so straightforward, actually. There was a pregnancy. It was desired. It was wanted. It was cherished. Mm-hmm. And for no good reason, in terms of the, the pregnant mother, it didn't happen. Yeah. But then you move on. And I wonder, I don't know, Yugesh, you've, you've, you've interviewed women who, who have um, aborted or been for abortion or termination of pregnancy. Has that ever kind of come up in terms of prior pregnancies? So, Chris, in my literature review prior mm. to undertaking that research, which was really looking at women who have a termination in the first trimester, right. whether they develop any depressive symptoms or post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, and what were the contextual factors that yes. governed that? But in my reading around that, I, I came across prolonged grief after um, fetal loss. It, one of the, the articles was called, um, I have come across women who 
don't do well post losing a, a child. And again, as as you know, you know, in the psychotherapeutic world, uh, it really is about what a woman brings to an experience and the the meaning attribution to what that loss was. Yes. So it could be cultural factors. They could be pressures from family to produce a woman's worth very often or up until quite more recently is is tied up in her ability to yes. procreate right and we know of certain cultures where men will take on another wife because the first one can't produce so that amount of pressure is yes. is, is is really big yes and often leads to if you then do have a miscarriage lead to symptoms of depression right. grieving yearning guilt and all of that which amounts to the so-called complicated grief or right. what we now getting into prolonged grief disorder so yeah and what i found interesting specifically was that there was almost a sense of guilt that the individual could not celebrate the new pregnancy because they hadn't necessarily mourned the loss yeah. of the lost pregnancy yeah. so that was quite an interesting dynamic which obviously i you know i I didn't have much experience of, but it, it just kind of struck me, and I thought it makes a lot of sense, actually. Maybe not all for all women, but certainly um, it's something to kind of keep in mind that it's not just we take the next step and we just move forward as if all of this is just, you know, it happens, and so we we move on. Just to perhaps, if I don't, could just add to what's been said, um, about 10% of babies will have a minor congenital abnormality. Okay. Just routine. That's right. off, off the, the cuff. And about 2 to 4%, probably closer to 2 now, babies will get uh, a lethal congenital abnormality. Okay. So um, loss of pregnancy is a problem. Right. But also knowing, and this I think is important when, when a woman – desires so much to have the children. Things do happen right. and it, it requires counselling. The other aspect that we've noticed is a woman who has the indication for the termination of pregnancy can play a role as well. And a woman who has it, or we've noticed that a woman who's had a previous um, uh, abortion right. for a non-medical or a non-surgical uh, issue, um, if she can't procreate or can't fall pregnant mm. later in life, goes back and starts yes. blaming. Yeah. And there's that point of kind of connecting, gosh, I can't get over this grief. I did something wrong mm. and now I'm suffering for it, yes. which is a, a big problem. Yugesh? Mm. Mm. So, you know, I was going to say, yeah. in fact, if, if you want to help a woman get over something like that, it's absolutely key to unravel what is behind it, what, yes. what is making you feel that way, right. and then to provide some meaningful medical evidence of the stats. Yes. And a lot of women like that. They don't, yes. they weren't aware that, oh, it's because 
more than likely, you know, there was a congenital abnormality or there was a risk of this. And most of the time it's due to that, that people have spontaneous abortions. Mm. That's very helpful and quite powerful, as you, I think, correctly um, alluding to. And, and we, we don't often use that no. in our psychotherapy. No, I think we that's… Must no, I think that's right, Jigish. I mean, I'm just listening to the to the stats that Franco is giving, and I'm thinking, wow, hang on a sec. You know, we just assume, well, you fall pregnant and everything mm, just works. Good outcome. And you're saying, exactly, because that's what everybody wants, mm. and that's what everybody sees. But what one doesn't see are all these percentages mm. in terms of what actually happens out there. And I think context is very important. I wanted to just ask Franco something, and I want to get into the – the act which cover um, the procedure. The difference between abortion, what I, because there's various, various medications to induce, how does this differ from the morning after pill? Because yeah. I think it's very important to make the distinction that the morning after pill is not inducing an abortion. It's preventing pregnancy. Could you just Correct. cut? Um, and, and, and I think that is, this is absolutely crucial the whole concept of um, contraception right. and uh, its, 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 its um, ramifications. Now, I've always sort of believed that there are four real components in society that's going to give us um, a global national um, well-being, and that is electrification, sanitation, vaccination and contraception. Mm. And I really believe that contraception in Africa is sorely, sorely uh, misrepresented or understated, etc. Now, the contraception, there's so many different modalities that the young lady who's going to become sexually active has a choice. So that's important. Mm. I can drink it. I can get it as an injection. I can get something put inside the uterus, which prevents pregnancy. But once the um, sexual act has taken place or there's been um, the unfortunate uh, occurrence of um, abuse or rape, etc., right. what we talk about is the morning after pull. That's the one. Okay. Now, the morning after pull is basically to try and intervene yes. with the um, sperm getting through into the uterus and somehow conceiving through its actions on the ova, and you're now going to try and prevent yes. the um, um Conception, or you're trying to avoid it, what's called nesting in the lining of the womb. Okay. And the ways you can either drink a tablet, um, which is an oral combined tablet available at all pharmacies, certainly through your um, general practitioner, which you take the day afterwards right. and the night afterwards two tablets in the morning and two in the evening. Um, the timing is important. Now, if something's happened and you want to not try and fall pregnant, ideally within 72 hours, yeah. it's oral and there are two different kinds of t 
um, medications or up to one week right. where we can use an intrauterine device. Right. Oh, yes, the insertion of the IUCD. Correct. Absolutely. So, and the IUCD, it's irrelevant which you're using. Yes. But we use the cheaper of the line, which is the copper, copper containing. Right. Okay. And that gets inserted into the uterus. As to whether you have to, rem- the doctor has to remove it or leave it, I favor the system. Put it in within the seven days and uh, leave it. Leave it. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Now, what's important the morning after pill won't bring your periods on immediately. So you don't, you generally fall into the cycle right. that you would have had anyway, but it makes the lining of the uterus in the cavity of the womb yes. so unfavorable that pregnancy nesting Can't doesn't happen. take place. Okay. So I think for me it's a very important distinction. Very. You're preventing versus aborting Correct. in that sense. Yukish, I wanted to touch on where psychiatry fitted in in the old days. I'm going back to the days of the Abortion and Sterilization Act of 1975, where psychiatry was often called in to assess a young woman who, for reasons of having emotional difficulties, uh, it would pose a threat to her. And, and that was where psychiatry kind of got involved with, with, with abortion. And then... We had the change to the Choice on Termination of Pregnancy Act in 1996. And I think your comments, if you have any specifically on, on, on what the changes might have been and, and, and where that brought us from and where it brought us to. Hmm. So, I mean, the big issue of choice yes. for a woman's right to choose, that, that was big in terms of post-apartheid uh, dismantling thereof. Um, it offered choice to women who heretofore did not have that right. choice. So that's the one thing. In terms of abortion on demand, abortion sterilization act, there were certain time frames, and as Frank was pointed out, up to 12 to 14 weeks, you, you couldn't on demand. You no. couldn't walk into your GP's office and say, I'm pregnant, I can't have this send me somewhere or or can we do something. Um, That was just a big no-no. But if there were specific reasons Mm. that you could ask for it, it would then involve, and as you correctly say, I remember sitting as a young, young registrar with um, Professor Clifford Allwood uh, and doing one of these assessments who had been referred from our gynae colleagues. Yes. Young woman, um, who'd been, I can't remember if she was a product of, of rape or, or she, she had been raped or there were other circumstances and there, there were a few like that. Some we would say, and yes. I often wondered, so what gives us the right to say yes to this one and no to that one? But in essence, if you had a history of severe mental illness right. and the risk was determined by professionals, um, that continuing with the pregnancy would result in either serious detriment to 
the health of the woman. Mm. And we know that in the postpartum period, yes. or in fact, peripartum is a very, very vulnerable area for, mm. for women with mental illness, particularly for mood disorders. But certainly we, we now know for psychotic disorders as well, anxiety disorders. So to the woman herself, continued with that pregnancy would result in detrimental effects, um, or if it would be a problem to the child. The child. So if there were any identifiable features as gleaned from our colleagues at the time um, that put the child at risk, if there was a potential for fetal malformation, and the rest was really opinion based on things like, oh, so it's a young woman with uncontrolled diabetes. Would she be able to manage the situation? Or it's a young woman with uncontrolled diabetes living in a shack with no support, no education, has, uh, you know, the likelihood of the socioeconomic circumstances being dire to actually bring another world being into this world. Would that impact on mom's ability and baby to thrive? So decisions were based on that, then obviously um, 18 to 20 weeks and beyond 24 weeks, you could not unless there is imminent um, danger that something could happen, fetal anomaly has been mm. um, found, etc., then then you would, I use the word, allow it. Yes. But I often wondered right from, from then, so why, what, what governs that really? Are there laws? Are there ethics? But, but of course, um, you know, you had senior people to guide you with yeah. those things. But very difficult because the psychiatrist was then placed in this position yes. of, of, of yes. always passing a judgment. You're like, Absolutely. you get it or you don't get it yeah. and you motivate for it. Yeah. I think what's happened with the – so that was the uh, Abortion and Sterilization Act. Mm-hmm. So things have – have moved on, and obviously we've now got the Choice on Termination of Pregnancy Act, which came in 1996. And I think what's very important for me when I looked at that act was the preamble to the act, which said, believing that termination of pregnancy is not a form of contraception or population control, which I think is is very important. And I suppose one of the issues is, what is the extent to which this procedure is used as a form of contraception. And I think that that is something, because you know, you've, you've got it on demand. So how do you balance that where a person is perfectly entitled at a certain point to request it? What happens if this is a person who comes twice, three times? Where do you go with that? How do you balance this out in terms of the spirit of the act versus what the act allows for? It's a difficult one, I think. Yeah. You guess? Very difficult. And, you know, as you correctly say, with rights come consequences. And, you know, it may be your right to have something, but you need to bear in mind the context of all of that. Yes. So, I mean, certainly we won't get into the politics of why the the act was uh, repealed and changed because certainly there was a degree of control and lack of access for a majority of women in this country. Um, but beyond that, so uh, uh, Chris, you're asking about you're what the, are you asking? I'm asking actually? about you as a practitioner using it as contraception. What do you yes, say? Yes, where yeah, you know where yeah. do, where does that fit in? Because the act itself mm. was providing for early, safe, yeah. legal. Yeah. So we kind of cleaned it up. Yeah. Now, 
we go to the preamble of the act and it says, but you know, this should not be for contraception or population control, yeah. which I think is very important. And you're suddenly as a practitioner saying, I don't know if I can do this now. So I can speak from what yes. I saw and heard when I did the research that yes. I did. And that is that the um, service provider at the time told me that women were using it as contraception. And right. she said that, you know, infuriated her. And she would tell these women, this is not what I'm about. Right. You need to please remember what the act says. So in all of these centers, I don't know if it, it's still like that now. And they've got, what, 350 odd centers? Designated. Designated centers. Yeah. Um, they, they all have the act on yes. the walls and where women are reminded and, and it's read. So she would, she would tell them. Um, but of course we know that many people, whatever you know, doesn't dictate how you're going to behave. Absolutely. Um, so what, what is, what is key here? Um, do, does one say, no, I can't do this anymore? I don't know if there are any provisors in place for the numbers of uh, terminations yes. you're allowed to have. You see, certainly you see a pattern developing. Exactly. I, I think the big issue for me is that within the Act, there is mention of pre- and post-counseling. And I think that is probably where it would come in, where you'd say, hang on a sec, I'm seeing you for the second or for the third time. What is going on? And what about contraception? You know, And there may be all kinds of reasons why that isn't happening. And I think we could get into cultural issues and specific mm -hmm. issues. And so I think one always has to, to look oh. at the context. But I think the one thing that struck me recently. We, and, sorry, we yeah. also saw women going from one center to I, another. I, I was so thinking that, that they not exactly. kind of caught up. Exactly. You know? The one thing I would say about the act is that it's very detailed and it's very specific in terms of who can do what, when, how it works, how many weeks. Um, you can have it on demand. How many weeks are special circumstances? And special circumstances means it's after a certain period, but if there's been rape or incest, those kinds of things are kind of a given that it, 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 it would be provided. And it's also very specific in terms of who can do it, what their training has to be, the documentation for statistical purposes, not for identifying individuals. So there's a very structured um, approach within the act. But now – I came across. Sorry, if yeah. I could just add a few from my experience yes. in the past. Um, remember, the act brings with it an expectation, right? Um, and the expectation is that um, I'm entitled to make my choice, yes. And I expect that this country will um, abide with what the act Says. implies. Yeah. Now that brings with it. You have to have centers that are going to provide it. You're going to have to have um, staff to actually perform. You're going to have facilities, the need for facilities that are going to en enable these to take place. And with it comes the conscientious objector. The, That's a question I was going to ask uh, you. How often have you encountered well, that? Well, we do. It's, it's, it's a problem. So now, just to be clear, the conscientious objector is a person who says, for moral reasons, um, as much as the law provides for, I am not going yeah. to participate in. And Chris, you know, it's hard to have on the one hand a governmental um, stamp which says X. Yeah. Now you can't follow it. You you can't 
You can't retaliate and refuse to, to do them. We, so you've got to find the personnel. So right. what we had as a rule, you have no right. That we put our foot down in the sense you have no right to object to manage someone who's actually had right. an abortion or termination of pregnancy yes. who comes in with any sort of problem. Yes. Um, so that 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 was mandatory. But you encounter a, a fair number of people who are not prepared to participate. And I think that that's been an almost, I wouldn't say, unin, it's been an unforeseen potential consequence. I'm not sure if there was that discussion beforehand in terms of, of the act. But, you know, Yugesh and I will know very well in psychiatry, there's law and then there's resources. And I think one of the big frustrations we, we, we have is always that we have these laws, everything is looks good on paper, no. and when you get down to the nitty-gritty, it doesn't happen because you haven't got the appropriate resources. And I think for me that's been a great frustration in, in terms of so many things. But the actually. law also obligates that you find, if you can't offer it, right. you're going to have to find a center or a person who can, who can do it. And now, will do it. Who will do it. Yes. Or, or who must. Someone's got Someone to offer must. that service. So I think that hasn't been thought through yes. appropriately because you can't make a doctor or a nurse or a medical attendant, you can't enforce them to cooperate if they feel for religious reason, for um, whatever reason, I'm not prepared to participate. You, it's, it's hard. It's very difficult. Yugesh? Mm. In fact, and we, we were chatting about these yeah. issues I wonder, when we screen for suitability for training in medicine, ONG, psychiatry, do we ever think to ask about these things, get an, a feel for what people think? Because in my opinion, I, yeah. I, I agree completely and feel we should abide by that no yes. matter what. You know, so um, do we teach it? Are we teaching it, Franco, at medical school? I don't know, in ethics, in, uh, certainly not in psychiatry, not but I'm going to start now. <laughs> but in, in gynae, do you, do you, is it, is there a lecture? Is it a requirement yeah. to say, if you want to do obstetrics and gynecology, yeah. Yeah. we have a law in terms of termination of pregnancy, and you might be obliged. Yeah. Now, are you in or out? Well, in all honesty, um, you know, when I was still there, I don't know what the undertakings are now. It was a question that was posed okay. in your interview. So it wasn't a, a, an absolute requirement. So in other words, you still uh, were part and parcel of the selection that was put forward. Yes. But it was certainly a question that was addressed. So one has to be careful that you don't prejudice against somebody because of moral conviction Correct. in terms of their possibility to be included as a trainee in a specialist training program. Because I think that's what you might potentially. However. How, <laughs> no, you see, so I mean, these are the kinds of, these are the kinds of, of, of issues that one deals with. But the point I was going to make earlier is that backstreet abortions are still happening Absolutely. despite the law. So yeah. I came across the headline, um, that backstreet abortions are thriving in South Africa. There was a headline in July 2022. And then I went to look for some kind of science to see what is going on. Mm. And I came across a qualitative study where they'd obviously interviewed women who had 
undertaken backstreet abortions. And as much as they were aware of the legality, there were still issues around fear of others finding out mm. and stigma mm. in terms of judgment and mistreatment from providers. So in spite of what one might call progressive laws, there are still prejudices. And so we still have a thriving backstreet abortion industry. That's what I'm going to call it because that's what it is yeah. at the end of the day. And so as much as we've kind of moved forward, I'm still thinking back to the 80s yeah. when that's what we used to have. And we thought this would potentially deal with that. But I'm not sure that it has. I don't know what your comments might be. I don't know why we thought that because in my opinion, yes. and perhaps it's years later I can say this, whenever there's something contentious, yes. there's bound to be that. And women, and they said it in Harry's, it's Harry's. Yes, right? it's Harry's, that's, that's right. Article, Absolutely. Her research, which was conducted in Cape Town. Yes. Um, it's not the fact that it's legal. Sure, we know, but it's the fact that people judge me. Yeah. And just by hearing these conversations that there are still doctors out there who would raise objection or choose that time to suddenly voice their religious opinion and their moral convictions. Yes, at the time. And the whole issue is it's the woman's body. Yeah. Do you have the right to say that? Have you thought of all the other issues, etc.? So there'll always be that. And women feel that. Yes. It's never easy. The decision-making around to choose to terminate, terminate. then, it's not easy. Yeah. For some, it's cut and dried. Yeah. And these are, and you see them, educated women know the timing's not right. they in a relationship. It's going to happen, but not now. I'm just not ready. Do it. Oh, it's wonderful. The person was comforting and they, you know, supported me over, gave me pain relief, and they move on with their lives. Right. But by and large, the woman who is conflicted because they're from religious families or there's partner coercion or there's other issues and you then have a service provider who may, might come with an attitude that, oh, you again or, right. you know, do you know how many women are dying to have children and you want to do this? That's incredibly judgy. Right. So we, we need to start looking at that. So no matter what it is, even if it's legal, as long as there are those emotional issues, it will come with. And that's what I found impacted yeah. women in terms of who's going to be, have, be more, have more guilt, who's going to develop depressive symptoms, um, who has resilience against certain things, yes. etc. So, Frank, I, the, the, there's... There's no doubt that um, the Termination of Pregnancy Act has major problems still yes. uh, to, to enforce it. But it has made a big change. Even though backstreet abortions still take place, the, the quality of problems, how severe they were in the past, isn't seen today. Uh, it, it's a, it, it is still associated right. with problems, but the methodology of the doesn't of termination of pregnancy doesn't include the archaic kind of um, invasive surgical procedures. It's usually medically related. Mm. So the, the, we, we've seen a significant drop in deaths 
loss of patients, okay. in significant severe pathology, um, less operative removal of uteruses, septic uh, patients, end organ failure, that has definitely changed. And I think that's important because we're looking at maternal health, we're yeah. looking at health of a nation, and I suppose if one is able to eliminate those kinds of issues or to diminish them, then obviously that is important. Mm-hmm. But I think the things that we're talking about or have been talking about now still require further elucidation and discussion because the law as it stands is, is, is pretty clean, but when you get into it, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. account for people's feelings mm-hmm. and what their thoughts are. doesn't. But we will promote that if we mm. don't take that approach. And that is show the evidence. Mm. It's decreased the burden on our state yes. facilities. I mean, you spoke sure. about the hangers and the Absolutely. Uh, clips and the pins, no, safety no. pins you'd see with purulent pus coming out of no, there. It's hard. And you're like, what, 24 years old and curating away and you're thinking it's decreased the burden of all of that as well. Yes. Of course, we have other burdens. No, sure. But uh, safe, hygienic uh, terminations of pregnancy and it's legal. Yeah. Perhaps we, we might be promoting when we think about the feelings and the yeah. uh, emotions behind it. To- to come to yeah. a con- kind of conclusion of yes. what the two of you have been talking about, on one aspect, because of the news, so it's open and America has now brought out these draconian kind of notions. Yeah, well, this is the whole Roe Ro- Ro- v. Wade. Correct. Yeah. Whereas ours, I must say, I think require revisiting. Yeah. We, a balance must be brought in. Yes. The, the, the the, the number of abortions may have to be reconsidered. You can't get the same patient, uh, young lady, coming in for the third, the fourth time. Yes. I think that needs reevaluation. Mm-hmm. But it must be somewhere. There must be a voice. Yes. There must be support for what the mental health of the uh, female uh, uh, needs. But the one's draconian, and I think ours are far too liberal. Well, I think that uh, you've almost preempted my closing statements because I think that that's important. So I want to thank Yugesh, Franco, um, for giving of your time and expertise. It's not an easy topic, I think, and because uh, it does relate to life and death. Mm. So I think that whenever you're talking of those kinds of issues, it's really not straightforward. So certainly in South Africa, the way I would look at it, I'd say we've got no debate. Abortion seems to be a fairly settled manner in terms of the law uh, with personal choice, certainly within the first 12 weeks, certainly sufficient to access the procedure. There may be potentially diverse views morally. We'll put that to one side. Obviously, looking at the American situation, the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, and I didn't want to get into a significant discussion there, but to me, I'm, I'm wondering, so what lessons do we learn from what has taken place there? And the thing that kind of struck me is that partisan politics often leads to positions that polarize and divide society. There is a pro-choice, pro-life, that's it. And I think on, on, on this and, and, and many other issues, partisan politics can become problematic. So I think that the purpose of, of, of today's episode has been to focus on what is without taking a partisan political moral position. But in closing, I, I, I just will quote Milan Kundera, the Czech author, a few words of reflection, where he said, Those who consider the devil 
to be a partisan of evil and angels to be warriors for good except the demagogy of the angels. Things are clearly more complicated. And I certainly think they are not as straightforward maybe as the law might make them seem. So remember, there is no health without mental health. I am Christopher Paul Sabo and this is Beyond Madness. In proud association with Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave, inspiring communities, one pharmacy at a time.